Hey friends, welcome to This Good Word. My name is Steve Weens. I'm the host. And what we do on the podcast here, if you're new, is sometimes I ramble, uh, usually about one particular word or topic. I riff on it. I ask questions about it. I explain how it's changed me or is changing me. Or I interview people. And lately I've been doing a lot of the riffing. Coming up, I have some fascinating interviews. Austin Channing Brown is coming up. Uh, Her book, I'm Still Here, is utterly amazing, refreshing, beautiful, brilliant. Uh, You're going to want to get that book. It is so good. Dignity in a world. Sorry, it's so Austin Channing Brown, I'm Still Here black dignity in a world made for whiteness and let me tell you so worth it somehow she um i don't know how she did it but she is somehow at at the same time unflinchingly honest and also she creates space at the table for anyone that wants to keep learning and keep growing it's a very rare combo but austin did it so we have her coming up on the podcast We also have my Latina sister, Karen Gonzalez, who I can't wait to uh, interview. She works for World Relief, and she's also an author, and she's going to be super fun to talk to. I met her at the Festival for Faith and Writing, and she is um, quite a force. And then uh, we're also going to hit Daniel Hill. Well, we're not going to hit him. (laughs) We're going to talk to him. We're going to talk to Daniel Hill. He wrote a book called White awake. So you see a theme here. We're going to talk a little bit um, for several weeks about race uh, um, and what it means to um, enter into the conversation no matter where you are. And I think the best way to enter in, especially particularly if you're white like me, is through the way of ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance in a pejorative way. I mean it in a way to say, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to learn as much as I can, and I'm not going to be afraid to ask questions. So you're going to see in these interviews, lots of questions, and um, I'm really doing as much reading as I can uh, so that um, the questions are as helpful as they can be. So looking forward to that. But today what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to replay a sermon that I preached at my church, and I'm doing that because... I think in this sermon, it after after I gave it, it occurred to me that it's one of the, I, I think, clearest descriptions that I give. That I what I did is I I the sermon title is called "Life on Trial," and in the sermon, it's about twenty five minutes long. I differentiated the life that religion slash Christianity offers and seems to offer, I compared and contrasted that with the life that the Christ embodied and offers. And they, my friends, are different. So I think it could be helpful for some of you who are in various stages of deconstruction and reconstruction. I also know that many of you, because you've written to me, you write things like, hey, I don't hold the same Uh, religious views that you do, but I appreciate your honesty. And so this one might be a good, um, a good uh, little primer 
on some different ways of thinking about um, embodying the way of Jesus that is, doesn't have to be confined within Christianity. And for some of you, that's like, whoa, but the more and more I have lived life and the more and more I think about it and the more and more I wrestle with it, uh, I think it's absolutely uh, a thing that the Christ, Jesus, uh, cannot be contained by any one religion. Now, if that freaks you out, let it freak you out. Let that let you let yourself wonder about that. Ask yourself questions about that. I'm not going to overly explain that. I would invite you, though, on a journey of um, what Jesus was doing in his life, in his death, in the resurrection, and who he confronted, who he offered relief, support um, from oppression, and then draw your own conclusions. So um, I think Jesus works within Christianity, not saying Jesus works exclusive to Christianity, but I don't think Christianity can contain Jesus. Maybe that's a better way of saying that. Okay, so last thing I'm going to say before I play this sermon is that you're going to notice that that I use a particular style of both preaching and interpreting the text. And the best way to describe it, it is the ancient style of Midrash. Midrash was a group of teachings that the rabbis put together primarily after the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed after 70 AD. And Jewish people needed to find a way to keep Judaism alive and to keep Torah alive. And so these brilliant rabbis figured out a way to develop a method of interpreting the Bible where when you read a text, you assume that it could have multiple meanings. You assume that you're going to bring all your questions and all your experiences and all the current realities that are happening to the text. And then you're going to find your story within the ancient story. And you are going to assume that uh, the contradictions uh, aren't there to be um, explained away or solved. They're there to teach a new generation a new thing. And so Midrash assumes some things. It assumes the Bible is divinely inspired, but it also assumes that each text can have multiple meanings. It assumes that God delights in our imagination. And so it allows you to enter a text and fill in the blanks about some of what's missing there with your imagination rooted in, in the biblical narrative. And I think it's a really fascinating and really helpful way to look at the scriptures. So that's how I prepare for my sermons and how I give my sermons. And you're also going to notice that in our community, we the, the delivery of the sermon is like that. So I ask tons of questions that people actually answer. And sometimes I get the feedback of like, hey, I can't like, wow, this would never work in my church because it's way too big. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're probably right. Like at our church, there is usually about anywhere between 150 and 225 people in the room as I'm asking these questions. Certainly not everybody answers. That's not the point. No one has to answer. And, but, but the questions are always very open-ended and they lead us on, on journeys. You're, 
um, you're going to see that. You're going to see that. And I also do that so that um, our community is, in a sense, formed to approach the text as if we were um, doing the interpretation of Midrash. So every text, multiple meanings, the text is divinely inspired. We're going to stay rooted in the biblical narrative, but we're going to let ourselves fill in the blanks and, and explore the contradictions and uh, be honest about some of what we don't get. And we're going to let the new realities of our time uh, speak to the text in such a way that the text may say something new for our generation in our time. That could be a whole new podcast, and let me know if that's something you want to discuss more of, and I will gladly do that. Um, but I think I've said enough. I, I planned this intro to be about two minutes, and I see that we're at the, about the nine-minute mark now. So without any further ado, uh, this is the sermon from May the, um, gosh, the 13th. And the text is 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. So enjoy, my friends, in it together. Hey, friends, we'll get right back to the podcast, but I wanted to let you know if you want to know more about anything that I've done, well, not anything, but my books, my blog, the other podcast episodes, head over to steveweens.com and you can find everything you need. Also, if you want to support me on patreon.com, just go to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. And if you support me for as little as $2 a month, you'll get lots of benefits. Fun, fun stuff. Okay, now let's get back to the podcast. Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so that you might know that you have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, deep breath in, <laughs> let it out. <laughs> uh, well, it's the seventh week of Eastertide, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground during that time, mostly in 1 John. And we've talked about sin, we've talked about love, we've talked about what it means to put your trust not in a religion, but in a person. And um, especially in the last three or four weeks, I just want to say I've appreciated your interaction so much. Uh, I feel like the, the dialogue the, the community is experiencing right now is like on another level. And I just want to say thank you. As, as your pastor, th there just couldn't be anything more fun for me. So uh, I, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being willing to go there with all play questions and, um, and engaging. So thank you for that. Uh, well, in those, in those five verses that Jenny read, it's one of the shorter ones. Uh, one of the shorter texts that, that we have. Sometimes, you know, there are verses and verses long with all kinds of different words, but that's pretty short. But even in those five verses, we see the words testimony and testify seven times. 
So I think it's fair to say that the writer wants us to know something about that word. It's also translated as witness. So first, all play question. What is the writer pointing to? What does that mean? Witness or to testify or testimony. What does this word mean? Like, don't, don't think too religiously. Think just normal. In what, in what normal, okay, to share, yes. In what normal environment in our world do we see courtroom? Thank you. Witnesses, testimony, testify. See, in the church, you, you, like, we, we always assume the answer is like a churchy answer. Like, it's about talking about Jesus, right? Um, sure, it can be. But, uh, but I really do think that these five verses, uh, something or someone is on trial. The Greek word for a testimony is uh, marturia, and it really does mean a witness in a court of law or evidence given. And I don't love court of law metaphors in the scriptures for a lot of reasons, but here we are. It's, it's just completely, like it's impossible to see anything else. So here we go. Take a minute to read back through those five verses again. And I want to ask you this all play question, who or what is on trial? So you have a liturgy, just check it out. And just throw out ideas. One idea will lead to the next one and that'll, and we'll get where we need to go. Jesus might be on trial. In a way, you're absolutely right, and I'll show you why you're absolutely right in a second. Um, but, but keep going. Power of God's love. Yes, keep going. Belief in his word. Yes, keep going. Abundant life. Abundant life. I'm going to say uh, bingo. Who said that? Alicia. Nice job. Yeah, I think life is on trial. Life is on trial. And I say that because at the end, starting verse 11, this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life or abundant life, and this life is in his son. Uh, whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that, if you, so that you may know that you have eternal life or an eternal kind of life. Now, you have to climb out of Christian theology here for a second. What these verses aren't saying is, whoever, as we looked at last week, whoever prays the prayer, you know the prayer, the sinner's prayer, gets to go to heaven when they die. And whoever doesn't pray the sinner's prayer is not going to heaven when they die. That's not what the writer's talking about. That was layers of theology upon layers of theology that we created later. Uh, to prop up a system for basically white people who oppressed others to read the Bible in such a way that we could see it as not written by oppressed people. See what I mean? Like, you actually have to come up with a system that says what they're writing about is for me for later, not for people who are being oppressed now. So, um, so thank you for that. Uh, so let's assume John is the prosecuting attorney bringing witnesses, and the first witness that John brings is humanity, or Adam, Adam. 
because it says right there in the first, you know, if, if we listen to testimony from humanity, then the testimony of God is greater. So the first witness that John brings up is humanity, anthropos. So we have to ask the question. <laughs> I love it. It's all right. It's a tough day. It's nap time, snacks. Um, okay, so what is life or what is vitality? Because the Greek word for life is zoe, the state of one who is possessed by vitality. What does it mean to be possessed by vitality? No churchy answers. Be possessed by vitality. Passionate, alive, vigorous. We just saw it on stage about five minutes ago. Nate, vigorous, passionate. What else? <laughs> I'm a long way from, from that truth, Jenny, but I'll, I'll take that. She said, to still be in your 20s. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, how would humanity, and don't think like, I'm not, we're not contrasting evil, evil, secular humanity here and pure, righteous, holy, beloved church here. So, but how would humanity describe vigorous life or a vital life? Fit. Joy. Successful. Purpose. Happy. Independent. Now, now you're barking up my tree. What? Energetic, yes. What's your name? No way, Fran. Welcome to Genesis. Fran, where do you live? Where are you from? I was, I was going to say, your accent doesn't sound like Wyzetta. It's more of a Minnetonka accent, really. We're really going to. Okay. Well, welcome, Fran. And, and you participated in, in an all-play just like that. I mean, what's, wow, yes. I can see that. I can see that. I hope I don't say anything today that'll make you email me later on. <laughs> Maybe too late, huh? Okay. Humanity. So the word humanity, anthropos, uh, it's also essentially what the word Adam means back in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. And I want to read a text to you that you may be familiar with, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, tr of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, or else you'll die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is, this is actually a yes-no question. I don't know if I've ever asked a yes-no question before. That's sort of against my principle. But on that last sentence that the serpent says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't die. Is the serpent lying there? 
Fran just gave the answer. Fran, say it out loud. No, no the serpent's not lying. The serpent's, actually, the serpent's crafty and shrewd. The serpent's telling the truth. You're not going to die because they did touch it, and they did eat it, and what happened? What didn't happen? They didn't die in a way. We'll get to that later. Ah, you said, Jonathan? Okay. Let's put that here for right now. We'll pick it up in about 10 minutes, okay? So there that is. Definition of death. Jonathan Flockman. This side of the room, by the way. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so now I'm going to give what I think is the definition of life from humanity's perspective, but not, don't hear this as like secular, evil, dualistic, the opposite of God. This is actually, I, I think, the view of life that most of religion gives us, including Christianity. Uh, life, or vitality, is always just out of reach. Just out of reach. And it's God's plan to keep it just out of reach so that we will learn to trust God. See, see how that goes? It's going to be just out of reach, because if, if we got it, if we could sink our teeth into that thing that we really, really want, then we wouldn't need God. So it's, so it's God's plan, just, just out of reach, carrot and the stick. And we should choose God. And when we do, our life will also remain just out of reach. We have to die to experience it. You know what I'm saying? Eternal life is what? And now, like, you guys are smart, so, like, answer it as, as you would have answered it maybe 10 years ago. Eternal life is heaven when you die. Okay. You guys are getting too smart for my, for my tricks. <laughs> I like that. Uh, means I have to keep growing. Uh, so we should choose God but our life will also remain just out of reach as an inheritance that we'll receive in heaven, but not now. So if we choose to grab whatever most approximates vitality or life and is within reach, then that's what sin is, and we should feel real bad about that. I think that's the message of humanity about life. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's pretty close. Um, and by humanity, I think, what I mean by that is most religion, including most of Christianity. So my older sister uh, gives me permission to share this story, but she grew up and she was the youth group star. Anyone grow up with a sibling that was the youth group star? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan's hand went up so fast. Oh my gosh. I see a couple siblings in the room here too, so I'm not going to talk. Uh, but I grew up with a sister that was the youth group star, and I really wasn't. And I know that's probably not a big surprise to most of you, but, but I really wasn't. I'm not just, that's not just a trope that, you know, about me. I, I really was very far away from uh, that kind of uh, religious good life, uh, including not making bad choices or, you know. Anyway, so um, Lisa, though, did, and she spent 20 years making the right decisions. And then she spent... Um, a semester abroad in college in Israel-Palestine. And it, it wrecked her faith, it wrecked her worldview, it wrecked everything. And by wrecked, I don't mean ruined. I mean, well, I do mean ruined. 
but it actually ended something that needed to end. She had a limited view of what um, God was about, Christianity was about, and really, mostly her view was the view that I just described. And so she had the courage to throw that away. She's like, I don't believe that anymore. And she decided to not pretend anymore. Well, then for the next about 10 years, she really went on a, a really a dark path um, that included a lot of pain. Well, she found her way into a church for, and she never went to church during those 10 years. She found her way into an Episcopal church uh, where they celebrate the Eucharist every week like we do. And in the back, when the invitation to come to eat the body and to drink the blood came for my sister, she felt God saying to her, you're not bad, you're just really hungry. And so she went forward and, and received the Eucharist and it, it wrecked her again. Well, now she is an Episcopal priest. Many years later, that was a long, long journey that she went on. Um, but if you ask her, she's preached here a couple times, it's about time we have her back. But if you ask her what the Eucharist means to her, she'll have a really different definition than just, it's a way to remember that Jesus died for me. It was, it was the moment, and the moment that still teaches me that, um, that receiving Christ is a moment-by-moment -moment thing, and it gives me what I need because I'm so hungry. So, um, if life is on trial, there is a kind of life that I think a lot of us try to live, and we try to call it Christianity or any kind of religion, um, but it's really mostly about trying hard to not reach out for that thing that looks so good, and it's just out of reach, and it's trying to believe in a God that is keeping life uh, away from us, just out of our reach, on purpose. And we have to sort of love that God, believe in that God, trust in that God, because we have to trust that by doing that, then we'll get to heaven when we die. Even though that we receive the message that you're forgiven for free, the, the rules change real quickly when you become a Christian. And then all of a sudden you have to keep the fruit just out of reach. So uh, in 1 John 5, 9, we read this, if we receive human testimony, so that's what we just received, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his son. And the word greater means older. And it reminds me of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan uh, you know, goes and he gets killed and then he comes back. And then the witch is basically like, wait a minute, I, I played by the rules. I, I, I knew the old magic. And then Aslan says, you did know the old magic and you were right but there's an even older magic. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what, so there's an older and more reliable witness. Um, and the second witness is the son, also called the second Adam or the second human. Uh, someone called him Jesus, correctly so. Let's imagine the prosecuting attorney asks him what life is. So uh, in John 6, 47 through 53, these are, the words of Jesus, truly I tell you, whoever believes, and remember last week, that means whoever places their confidence in for life, not mentally assent to a group of, a, a system of doctrine. Whoever places their confidence in a person has eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says. 
Now, what do you notice in common between what Jesus says, the metaphor Jesus uses, and what we read about in Genesis 3? What is the common denominator there? Food. Isn't it brilliant that Jesus uses food? Because in the beginning, it was fruit. Now it's going to be bread. On the bread of life, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Uh, this is the bread, which is such a, like, yeah, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. I mean, th this is the children of God that, like, traveled through, and, and God gave them manna, and they died. Uh, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And what does that sound like? Eternal life, but think of Genesis 3. The fruit. If you eat of it, you will surely die. But this bread, there's no trickery here. If you eat of it, you're not going to die. It's not eat it and you will surely die. It's if you eat it, you surely won't die. That's a totally different promise. That's beautiful. I am, Jesus said, the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, and then the religious leaders then disputed amongst themselves, saying, and uh, by the way, in the text, John 6, 52, it says the Jews then disputed amongst themselves. But you as Christians in 2018 should read the Gospels, and whenever it says the Jews or the Jewish leaders, you should put in Christian leaders. Because that, that's, that's exactly what Jesus would speak to now. Christian leaders, like me. <laughs> so Steve, the pastor of Genesis, disputed saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, the Son of Humanity, the second human, and drink his blood, you all have no life. So I, I think Jesus is saying on the witness stand here, contrasted with what Adam said about life, Jesus is saying life has come down from God, it's not just out of reach. It's now among you and within reach. I am life. I have come down. I have made myself available to you. And all you have to do is receive me. Like, but I'm here. It's not a trick. It's not cloaked in guile. It's just here I am. And it was always God's plan to give life to humanity because God loves humanity. It's not God's plan to keep our life just out of reach so we'll learn how to trust him. No, God sent life to the earth because God loves us. And then I believe Jesus would say on the witness stand, you can choose God and your life, that vitality is available to you right now and also into eternity. Because the word for eternal or abundant, as Alicia, it's a better translation actually, uh, Alicia, so thank you, Greek scholar, uh, is ionios, eternal, and that actually means to have no beginning and no end. So that's an eternal kind of life. If it has no beginning, then we're not talking about heaven when you die, because heaven when you die has a beginning, correct? So Jesus is saying this is entering into a kind of life that has always existed, that exists right now, right beside you. It's, it's traveling along a parallel track that you just have to open your eyes to see. 
or you can choose to grab whatever most approximates life and is also within reach. And many of us choose, and I'm sorry, but many of us choose Christianity instead of Jesus. And we miss. We miss life. We miss the bread of life. We miss, and because we start fighting with each other about who believes what is right, and you can't be on my side anymore because you believe this, and I believe that, and it's just this big algorithm that is designed to keep people apart and fighting and distant. And so Jesus, I think, is offering something completely different. And that is life for everybody. Life for everybody. And um, I think this trial is raging right now in our world. And I think um, the humanity that looks religious is really blinding people from the life of Jesus that is really actually vibrant and inclusive and expansive and uh, that creates space everywhere it goes and in which there really is nothing to fear. Uh, it's, you know, going back to Aslan, to, you know, is it safe? <laughs> what a boring word. No, but it's good. But, 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 but that is the leap of faith. And no one can take that for you. So, um, I, I was in, um, okay, I got to be done. But I was, I was, I was in my, uh, I'm, I'm being ordained this um, fall, or this June, sorry. And um, in, <laughs> in front of some people I probably shouldn't have said this to, I said, I was supposed to give my, like, my testimony. That's what they called it. And I said, I am not, no, I said, I am an evangelist, but not for people who don't believe. Because I'm deathly afraid of people becoming Christians. I actually want to help Christians who have felt like Christianity has absolutely failed them to, act, to finally meet Jesus. I think that's my thing. Like, that's one of the things that I... Now, you know, maybe you would call that becoming a Christian. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. For me, it's helpful to, to make a distinction because I think it's about life. I think religion can only offer us so much. It's good as far as it goes. It provides us with people that think like us. Man, we need that for a while. But then there comes a time where it's like, whew, um, to grow into who Jesus is and where Jesus is leading us, um, we, we actually need to get to know the Jesus that Pretty soon we'll find out, looks different than us. <laughs> Has different skin color than us. So like if you've all of a sudden, man, Jesus, he's, he's, he's been so distant lately. Like maybe it's time to look for him somewhere else. Still Jesus, but he's somewhere else. And that's where you need to go. Like that's what time it is. That's what click it is for you. Does that make sense? So no fear. Uh, unless you are afraid, and that's fine. 
Um, but like for Nate even, like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe some of you are like, well, that, that doesn't happen, <laughs> you know? Okay, <laughs> totally. Or some of you are like, oh my gosh, I've been praying for that to happen in this community, and now it has. Okay. So I always struggle with how to wrap up sermons. That's why we have 60 seconds of silence that I give someone else the responsibility of wrapping up the sermon. Absolutely, Karen. <laughs> this text? No. So humans don't witness very often. But it would make a lot of sense that Jesus was a figure of witness and that Jesus knew the truth. He knew this sort of truth. So that when you say who are the house of sun, for me if I replace the sun with the word truth, mm. that liberates. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. The voice of the chorus is better than the solo. Amen. Um, and you know, I'm hard on Christianity because I am a Christian. That's why I'm hard on Christianity. And I'm not saying I'm not a Christian. I absolutely am a Christian. That's what gives me some right to pound on us. Um, okay, I'm going to invite us into 60 seconds of silence, uh, and, and the opportunity here is to open yourself up to God, to the Spirit of God, to speak to you as the Spirit of God might. Mm -hmm.